Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. A very good afternoon to you. This is Life Happens on SAFM. It's eight minutes after one o'clock. Welcome to the show. We'll be together until three o'clock. And for those of you who are able to join us on Facebook, please do that. We are also on Twitter as well at SAFM, SAFM Radio, as well as at Pemelo Motene. Welcome to it. So I saw... um, a really compelling piece uh, very recently on The Conversation. The Conversation is a platform where a lot of um, academics share their insights on, on some research and as, as well as opinion pieces. This particular one was asking us South Africans to think about where our behavior of violence stems from. And I thought this is really something wonderful to get into because every everybody, I think, in this country is concerned about the level of violence that we see. Because I, I bet you every single one of us has experienced some level of violence. Um, and, and there are different levels to this thing. So I just want us to unpack that. Professor Lindy Hanneken is a chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at the Stellenbosch University. Thank you so much for making us uh, making the time to talk to us, Prof. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. So I, I'm I'm happy that somebody went into looking at to at, at why we are violent. You start by unpacking the different types of violence. Do you want to start there? Yes, we one can do that for for your listeners. So um, a very well known. Um, he's actually a, a a piece. He analyzes a piece process. A sociologist called. Um, Johan Galton, and he said that when we, um, try, if we have, if we want to try and understand violence, we typically look at the kind of direct violence that we see. So we we see and we see violence, and we try and combat it. So direct violence, for example, includes personal violence that includes any kind of physical or psychological component that produces hurt or harm to the point of killing. And it will include, at a one extreme, it will include war and torture and fighting and, and so forth. It also has a psychological component to it. So it's direct violence is what we see in society every day. So mm-hmm. when we think of violence, that is the component. And it's visible and it can take many forms. It's an aggressive act. So physical force um, is one, but also psychological violence in terms of um, verbal and mental abuse. And, and this is the type of violence we see most typically. But underlying this, he said, you cannot understand direct violence unless you actually start unpacking what structural violence is. And he and what he was highlighting is that the type of violence that we see in society like South Africa, it's really rooted in um in underlying repressive political, economic, and social structures that affect people's lives. And he says it affects people's well-being and lives to a much greater extent than actually direct violence. Hmm. And so, so what he was arguing is that to understand violence, you must look at these structural factors which are embedded within society that control access to a range of factors that affect the basic human needs for survival and welfare. And that, he says, is what leads, it underlies direct violence. And we see it. Unequal access, for example, 
to education, mm. unequal access to employment, unequal access to health care. These are the issues that underlie direct violence. <laughs> and what we see in what we see, of course, is that when the state responds to violence, it responds to any form of violence, to direct violence, to some kind of act of aggression or suppression, but not addressing the underlying factors which lead to the direct violence. There's also the cultural violence that you bring up as well. Yes. Let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so cultural violence is, is more what we could call symbolic violence, which is embedded in everyday language, religion, ideology, practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, is, it, is, it is those practices that influence um, prevailing attitudes and beliefs and the way messages are carried out in everyday life. For example, patriarchy, how patriarchy is, is, is projected. But we, we see it. I mean, I can give you a, a really good example. One of my students is working on this, is how, how COVID has been, has been dealt with in, in South Africa. It's been dealt with almost within a war narrative. The president stated, mm. we have a war. Mm. It is an invisible enemy. Mm. And this justifies, for example, the use of the military to suppress mm. those who are who are circulating or mm-hmm. who are who are not responding to this invisible enemy that is harming others. But so we have to look at the narratives that people use that perpetuate some form of of direct violence. Would we classify um, discrimination, let's say, how culturally women are perceived, when I say culturally, I mean across the board, um, as a form of violence that results in what we are seeing now, perhaps gender-based violence? Well, I mean, I think there's there's many aspects to gender-based violence um, within South Africa, but you must never see them apart. If you Mm -hmm. look at gender-based violence, you can also look at the structural factors Mm -hmm. embodied within society, which has led to gender-based violence. So um, the two are not disconnected, Mm -hmm. but it is is the way that these then um, legitimize certain... um, certain behaviors. Uh, and for example, in South Africa, we've got a very kind of a militarized masculinity, which is, which is also a kind of a, which has stemmed from our, 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 our background to be a man, mm-hmm. to be aggressive and to own a gun and gun use um, is embodied in certain cultural practices which then perpetuate. You highlight the fact that part of our difficulty as South Africa is that this violence that we 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 we've inherited and i'm going to use the word inherited was yes. in a way legitimized by the fact that it was it was part of state law right so it yes. didn't it didn't criminalize violence so we come from a history that says if i want to institute a specific law or whatever i have to use violence for people to comply yes. so we we have a long way in understanding what is wrong yes. with violence because it was institutionalized that's absolutely it's 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 embedded within our society that to be able to address certain issues, mm-hmm. uh, if you, if it, uh, let me rephrase it, to res- 
respond to certain issues. Mm. We resort to acts of suppression Mm -hmm. rather than acts of negotiation and of dealing with the underlying factors um, which which are giving rise to the tensions and frustrations within society. You know, th- there are things that facilitate this violence, and, and, and we are obsessed with direct violence in this country, right? So access yes. to guns, and we forever getting uh, periods where we would have amnesty for people who want to hand in guns. So we've had these uh, quite visible uh, means of trying to address violence. But you raise the point that these are quite, I mean, they're ineffective in a sense, just because it's illegal for you to carry a specific, you know, an unlicensed guns, um, it doesn't make it something that erodes the sense of violence in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and this is this is a, what 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 we was arguing in terms of cultural violence is that it's it's violence which is it's sort of reflected in in the in the in the language mm-hmm. and the symbolism that is portrayed, mm-hmm. and one sees it in the symbolism of. Of a very well-known political party, mm-hmm. where um, you now you use a spear and you're using wearing a, a military-style beret, um, a commander-in-chief, um, and with that militarized discourse, what is associated with a militarized discourse is the use of violence, and is the use of suppression, um, and is the legitimization that we can use this violence to address these issues rather than addressing the underlying structural issues which have given rise to the the tension and conflict. So let me ask you maybe what would have been a controversial question a couple of years ago. Is it ever necessary, this type of violence? Well, I mean, all types of violence should not be necessary. Mm. I mean, when when you have got violence, um, then um, that affects, um, and, and remember that violence really stems out of um, survival needs, mm-hmm. out of things that threaten your well-being or threaten your identity or threaten your freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those things that I've just mentioned, and I'm going to repeat them, the, the issues that affect your survival needs, mm-hmm. which can be uh, obtaining education, your health, getting a decent job, your your well-being being needs, in other words, psychological well-being, how you're coping, your identity needs and freedom needs, are all issues which are being addressed through violence within our country. Instead of looking at what can one do to actually address those specific needs that individuals have. So our our default in this country, and in other countries often, is to resort to the suppression rather than to resort to how does one address these specific issues. Professor, I hope that answers your question. We'll elaborate a bit more on that. Professor Lindy Hennigan is my guest. And listen, you can start dialing in now and maybe pose your questions or your comments on 011-714-2006. We are discussing just the prevalence of violence in this country and trying to understand why we are such a violent nation. Uh, your comments are very welcome, even on WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. 
So we are discussing what's behind violence in South Africa, really a sociological perspective on on why we are such a violent nation. 011-714-2006, you're more than welcome to be a, a part of this conversation. Your thoughts, your, your you know, you may differ as well. Um, you can also send us a voice note on 0614-104-107. My guest is Professor Lindy Hanneken, who is a chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Stellenbosch University. Before we start, um, continue con- continue with our conversation, Prof. May I just bring in Johan, who's calling us from Woodbank. Oh, Johan, good afternoon. Hi, Kathy. How are you? It's Pimelo. How are you, Johan? Uh, uh, it's I okay. Spoken it's, two it's okay. Okay. I'm, my, 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 I'm, I'm downloaded. Okay, it's not a problem. Please go ahead, Johan. Yeah. You see, the problem of us South Africans, we are fighting to each other, pointing each other with fingers. It's because of our justice system. The justice system of South Africa is working for those who've got money. If you don't have money, the justice system doesn't work for you quicker than those who've got money. Why I'm saying this is like, uh, I can make an example with our political parties. You can go to court tomorrow if something happened uh, and then you need some interdict or something. You're not going to get it. They'll say apply it. But those who are there as politics and other people, they apply in the morning afternoon, they give you the results. This justice system is a problem in South Africa. It works for the politicians. It works for those who've got money. It works for those who are able to do things that happen with money. For the poor who are suffering, for the poor who are treated with the tribalism, religion, and racism, it doesn't come into that. It does not come quicker and react quicker or faster. They wait for the damage to bleed. After it's bleeding, they will be there, the camera people will be there, whoever is going to be there, because of now it's bleeding. But if you don't have money, you have nothing. I'm telling you that justice is not going to work. We are going to fight in South Africa until our justice system is fixed. Johan there in Woodbank. Prof, I mean, yeah. this comes back to yeah. your point about structural yeah. violence. And, yeah. you know... And, and what, it, it really hit the nail on the yeah. head there because what he was, what he was pointing to in the end that it is the unequal power relations mm-hmm. which are in, embedded within society. And, and this involves a process where some groups, like you said, those politicians or, or, the, or the ruling classes or even certain genders, having more access to goods and resources and opportunities than others. So it's this unequal advantage that is built into the very social, political, and economic systems that govern our society that he's referring to, Percy, um, which need to be addressed. Percy, welcome to the show. You're calling us from Bethlehem. Hi. Yes, from Bethlehem, yeah. I, say I was shot 2008 by the police mm. for nothing, man. There was one person shot. When I showed him, he was shot. They shot me. <laughs> and then they played time, 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 time playing tactics. They've been all playing this time delaying tactics, time delaying tactics. And then uh, uh, last week, there was someone who was shot in my yard. They never even came back to me just to apologize and ask him. They just shot him and then they left. Now I have to now uh, clean the yard now. Uh, I don't have money now. I don't even have airtime money to phone you. Can you please help me, please? 
perceive they in a bit I'm suffering. I'm in pain now. I'm in pain now. I'm suffering. Thank, thanks for that, Percy. Let me put you back to the producers and, and see what, what kind of help you need. You know, you, you made the point a bit earlier, uh, Prof, that part of the problem is that it's actually easier to deal with suppressing or what you think you're suppressing is violence when you deal with direct um, violence. But the structural violence, which is actually what needs to be dealt with, is far harder to manage and to actually start changing. So what will it take then for us to, and I suppose it's a collective thing, we need to all decide that's what we need to do. How how do we get to that point where we have, as a collective, the will to deal with this violence structurally and culturally? Yeah, this 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 is the, the, the it, it's far easier as you said to use repression to to deal with the issue than actually then to invest in in the underlying causes. And this boils down to issues of decision making, who makes the decision, what type of strategies are to be employed. I'll give you a, a really great example. For example, if you just diverting a little bit because it's often mm. good to have a real life example yep, unfolding yep. in front of you. If you look at how South Africa deployed its military, mm. if it deployed its military to address the structural factors which is causing the tensions around COVID. Mm. In other words, deploy the military um, and use this logistics to uh, deliver food, mm. to mm. deliver medical supplies, mm. to um, to educate, mm-hmm. um, it would have had a completely different outcome. Mm. And in terms of investment of resources in combating this disease, than deploying the soldiers and holding people at gunpoint mm. to stay in their houses, which we knew was impossible mm-hmm. given the living condition. It would have been far more effective to effectively um, manage this disease by pro- providing for the... So here we go again to what Walton was saying, to the to the wellness needs, the basic human needs for survival and welfare um, of our citizens rather than to try and enforce them into the house without any food or water and, and so forth. So then, if you look at how Germany did it, what Germany did was it refused to deploy its military in a, in a, in a coercive role. What it did was precisely because their approach, their decision was this is not a war. This is a health crisis. So what I'm saying to you it is how we approach a specific issue um, in order to address the causes of the violence rather than always trying to address. Again, the, um, the, yeah. again though, my question is, and I hear exactly what you're saying, it's in how you do it. But I'm saying, yeah. how do we change the perception that when you ask them, they'll probably say, we did what we needed to do. In other words, in the mindset of a people or leadership that still hasn't understood that violence or repression is not the response that is appropriate, how, how do we get even there? Forget about the action, but because we need to change a mindset. Yeah. You know, it, it boils down to a very basic debate which also exists, and mm-hmm. that is what are the, what are the, what are, where do you place your emphasis mm-hmm. from? when you are addressing a specific problem. Mm-hmm. Are you going to deal with issues as a security mm-hmm. issue or are you going to 
address it as a developmental problem. And what we see is that many the tensions that we have within society resort with the inequalities and the injustices that mm. exist. Mm. And 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 these need to be addressed. Um, it, and and this is this is a far more difficult yeah. issue. But I mean, I would say I mean, and I am biased in this regard. But it does start with education. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look at at the growing inequalities in education that COVID has highlighted. With 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 children who have been grown up at the age of two years old having tablets. Um, and and readily being able to learn off the internet and off their phones compared to those children more disadvantaged. It's widening the injustices Mm. and inequalities within society. So where are you now going to invest your resources to be able to address those inequalities which give rise to direct forms of violence? Professor, we're going to have to leave it there, but fascinating uh, a take on on how we got here. And I'd employ all of you to to have a look at that particular report. Professor Lindy Hennigan, who is a a chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Stellenbosch University. 130, that brings us to headlines with Utsile Saku. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Hi, Pimela. This is Zalia here. I was wondering if you could just ask the professor if uh, food security has plays a role in in conflict and conflict uh, situations amongst um, communities and and families and and individuals as well. Thank you. Professor Lindy Hennigan is uh, with us. She is a chair of the Department of Sociology and Social Anthropology at Stellenbosch University. Our discussion has been about what's behind violence in South Africa. And uh, to that voice note, Prof, you would say absolutely. Excuse me, I, d- I didn't get that last. So the, 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 vo- the voice note was asking if food security has an effect on violence. Absolutely, mm-hmm. because that is that is got to do with, with I mean, um, it, it is one of the f- structural factors, of course, that affect basic human needs and survival and welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that leads to, um, that, as I said, leads to um, frustration and, and it underlies um, direct violence. Let's go to Colin, who's calling us from Cape Town. Colin, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Penela, and good afternoon to your guest, Professor. Good afternoon. You know, we're talking about violence, or we're talking about now overall, from from scratch, complete violence or just demonstration violence or what? Because violence in our country will never, ever, ever come to an end, as far as I'm concerned, because it starts from the grassroots. Parents must teach their children the right way. Now, you have children growing up in a family who are violent uh, with each other. That gets passed Mm -hmm. over. Once parents Mm -hmm. start educating their children and behaving themselves also in front of their children and things like that and respect their children, if you have have, uh, respectable children, you have a respectable mother and father, then you have a happy family. If you've got a happy family, you have a happy neighborhood. If everybody does the same thing, from a happy neighborhood, you'll have a happy society. But it's violence in the homes children are growing up. 
Now they grow up with that violence. So, Colin, Colin, walk with us here. Walk with us here. What what Professor Hanneken is saying is what makes the parents happy. So we, we I, I fully hear you and we agree with you. Just go back a few steps. If the parent, for instance, is unable to provide because he wasn't or she was not educated and then they are unable to get a job and, and so the cycle goes, what are the chances that that parent will be happy and happy enough to bring up children in a non-violent space? Yeah. Okay. Now we go back one step further. Mm-hmm. The government is pleading every single day, educate. Even parties are trying to plead with people. Now I'm talking about the up-and-coming youth now that are dropping out of school and things like that and that and that. They will later on have no work. They become violent. So a dropout rate at school and so on and so on is getting bigger and bigger and we are, we are breeding more little uh, criminals for the future. Again, so, Colin, again, what Professor Hanneken is saying is that look into why the dropout actually happens, right? Is there enough money for transport to go to school? Are those children fed? Are they able to retain information? Correct. correct. Yeah. So therefore, government should try and help. Have buses transporting those children. There is supposed, there's supposed to be money for education. Now the budget of education was cut. The budget of police was cut just to go and uh, and, and supply SA, uh, South African Airways. Now you don't cut budgets in hospitals and education and police uh, to, to uh, compensate for the airways, which we don't need. You see, our government is going the wrong way about it. Put buses there. Pick those little children up instead of crossing rivers in the winter, things like that. Thanks, no. Colin. Thanks. Uh, okay. We've got to wrap it up. We've got to wrap it up. Thank you so much for that. So, I mean, to, to wrap up what Colin is saying, and in fact, uh, Professor mm-hmm. Hanneken, yeah. contrary to what Colin is saying, the budget of education keeps increasing, but we're not seeing the effects of that budget, are we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, this is, the, the, to me, the, one of the, the biggest heartaches. I mean, and this was also comes from the legacy of our, of our past, mm. is, is unequal um unequal education, equal, unequal opportunities. Um, and, and, but I want to link up with what, 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 he, what Colin had mm. to say, and, and that was the, the whole issue of what happens in the, in the family. Mm. And, 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 of course, this is where, where cultural violence actually stems from, where, where certain practices are accepted and perpetuated, and it starts from in the family. And, of course, what we have uh, seen is, is that our family structures in South Africa has been have been disrupted for mm. for absolutely decades. Mm. Again, uh, resorting uh, going back to to our history and our legacy of of migration and of you know of the homeland system and everything that goes with it. So our family values and structures have been disrupted. Um, and this is this is where we we need to start. And I, I will say I'm I'm quite involved. Um, with the Department of Social Development, and, mm. and people don't really recognise the absolutely wonderful work that this department, with very little resources, um, does in, in trying to to address these type of issues at grassroots level, and of course, um, NGOs. So, my final question, because we've got to wrap it up, 
is, you know, we spoke, uh, Colin was saying, you know, you don't decrease the, the budgets for the police. I, I, I promise, I mean, I, I get the sense that you would you would disagree and say, in fact, we should be decreasing budgets into policing and then taking that money into something else. Am I wrong? Um, you know, it's this very careful balance. Like I said, you know, there exists what we call the development security nexus. Yes. For there to be development that addresses these inequalities and injustices, yes. there needs to be security. Yeah. Um, but we should not securitize everything in terms of our reaction to yes. issues. Mm. Um, that's why, um, I mean, I've done a, a, a focus, a lot of my research is on, on the military. I've been very critical in terms of how how and the role in which the military was deployed within our country mm. here to, um, and specifically with respect to COVID-19. Mm. Because, as I said, the, the, approach is, the approach was security and not I development. When the focus should have been development. I, I get it. Because what you're saying is, in as, much as that, in as much as the country needs, like South Africa needs security by the form of the army, for instance, mm. in the instance of COVID, the people of the country were not the enemy therefore you don't no. militarize and give guns to Absolutely. the military because what you're fighting is not the people you're fighting a virus so nutrition and health is probably the way to go in fighting that yeah absolutely you have been such yeah. uh, you know you've such a lot of insight there coming through thank you very much professor lindy hanneken who's a chair of the yeah. department of sociology and social anthropology at stellenbosch university that will be available as a podcast